the title of today's conference, Why Marriage Matters. Uh, have you ever really asked yourself that question? Really, truly asked yourself why marriage matters. If you have and you think about it, often the answers or the thoughts we have would be pretty self-focused, I would argue. I think why marriage matters is a really important question that we should ask ourselves. Uh, if you look around in the in the current culture we live in, in the times we live, marriage has been attacked and being attacked. I think back to, you know, no-fault divorce came in the late 70s, I think it was, early 70s. And no-fault divorce changed the way this culture views marriage. Marriage has been under attack in many ways, and it's fairly aggressively under attack now. And probably if you're here today, if you're if you are married, now some of you I know aren't married, if you are married, your marriage isn't a horrible mess, but you're here for a reason. Uh, you're here because you want to hear about and think about why marriage matters. Uh, marriage matters really it has little to do with us. Why marriage matters really has very little to do with with us. And oftentimes we think marriage matters for us and exists for us. And that causes a lot of problems in marriage. The reason marriage matters is because God has spoken. The God of the universe. The God who created and sustains all things. The God who is our maker. The God who is sovereign. The, the Lord of the universe, the God of all creation has spoken on this topic and marriage matters to him. And because marriage matters to God, it matters. And, and all human beings, all human beings are accountable to him for what he has spoken on all issues, but on this issue. Every one of us is accountable to God for what he says about marriage and how we interact with what he has said about marriage. We would do well to listen and to obey what God has said about marriage. And that is my hope that today we would listen and we would obey what we hear about marriage and how it matters to God. Marriage matters to God in many ways. One way we see that marriage matters to God is, is, is God's firstly, first earthly institution. Marriage is God's first earthly institution. God created all things. And when he created all things, he immediately created marriage. Before there was the church. Now, in God's mind, there's been the church before all creation. But in time, in creation, the very first institution that was formed was marriage and family by extension. Not the church, not governmental control. It was marriage, the, the interpersonal human relationship. And, and because God designed marriage, it is his. It is not ours to change. And we actually think it is as a culture. Uh, I remember in June of, of 2015, we had the Obergefell versus Hodges Supreme Court decision, where it was decided that states had to marry same-sex people, and other states had to honor that marriage, that, that gay marriage 
a very oxymoronic statement, became the law of this land. I think about Psalms 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Our Supreme Court, our leaders of our land, they sat together and they decided, we're going to redefine marriage. Against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't need God's design. We will redesign. We will redefine. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord takes, holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. If you go down to verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. We, we did not... We in this culture thought we redefined marriage. Did we redefine marriage? No, we simply we simply snubbed our noses at the God of the universe. And for that, our culture's under judgment. For many other reasons as well, but for that reason. Marriage is not ours to redefine. Marriage is not ours to, to decide how to utilize it, how to interact with it and in it. It's God's. And it matters to God. We, as a nation, not that I would or you would necessarily align ourselves with this, but as a culture, as a nation, we have placed ourselves at war against God in many ways, and one of the ways in how we think of marriage, how we utilize marriage. But not for Christians. For Christians, God has spoken. For Christians, we don't, we don't believe in oxymoronic, oxymoronic statements like gay marriage. We know those two words don't go together. We, we, we interact with God's word as Christians, understanding what marriage is. It's God's, and it matters to God. It was the very first institution that he established. See, we, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ as Christians. And because we have peace with God, we are not going to place ourselves at war with him in how we utilize this institution called marriage. We're going to come in agreement with him. Remain at peace with him through Jesus Christ in how we think of marriage. So God has spoken. What has he said? How do we know what God has said? Well, we just simply open his word. Yes, this is the revelation of God to us in the written word. And this is where we find out what God has said on any matter. So remember in Genesis 1, God created and he created, he created light and the sky and day and ground and plants and sun and moon and stars and birds, sea creatures. And then finally, the pinnacle of creation was mankind. The pinnacle of God's creation was mankind. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice he says, let us us make man in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created man in his image. So what does that mean? I think there's three main things it means. One, it means that, that we, are, we are created in a way that we can logic and reason different than a shrimp or a donkey. Made in the image of God, we can think and we can logic and we can reason. Another thing it means is that we have a soul that will never die. Unlike any of other God's creation, other than angels, uh, who don't have a soul per se, but the soul of, of human beings, we have a soul that will never die. We're made in the image of God that we will never die. We will perish on this earth, and then we'll stand before God in judgment, and we have a soul that will live eternity in hell or in heaven. In that way, we're made in the image of God with a, a soul that will never die. In another way, we are created in the image of God that is most applicable to today's conversation is, we are made in the image of God in our relational makeup, our relationship to one another. Mankind is made in God's image. Marriage is a theological statement. You see, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created man. And then it was not good that man would be alone. We'll look at that some more. And so, so out of the rib of Adam, God created woman. And, out, and marriage. And out of that come children. In, in the way that, that the son was begotten by the father, proceeds from the father... And the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Woman proceeds from man, and children proceed from man and woman. There's this image of God in marriage that is an image of His triune relational nature. It's the very first thing He does. Marriage matters to God, and then it's a manifestation of the relational image of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is a relational God. One God in three persons. There's a structure to the Godhead. All three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equally God, yes? And yet, different structure, different functions. The Son submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit Submits to the Son and the Father. Just as the wife submits to the husband, children submit to a father and mother. All equally made in the image of God. And yet, with a structure, with function. Marriage matters as it is the image of God in relationship, in the relationship of God. How marriage functions, therefore, matters to God. Patriarchy, a very hated word in today's culture. It matters to God. In 1 Corinthians 11, see, but God's people, we don't hate patriarchy, do we? We embrace it. We love it. 1 Corinthians eleven three. but I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ and the head of wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. God the Father is structurally the head of God the Son. Equal, equally God, 
but not equal positionally. John 15, 26. This is Jesus speaking. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Son and the Father and proceeds from the Father. This is the structure of the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is the structure of the relationship between husband, wife, and children. So, Eve proceeded from Adam. Their children proceed from them both. Triune God relationally and made man in his image. Let us make man in our image relationally. So the first reason why marriage matters is that mankind is made in the image of God. And therefore, we are relational as he is relational. We are relational in a specific manner that he gives us. In, in chapter 2 of Genesis, and chapter 2 is not chronologically after chapter 1. It's just a deep, deeper dive into chapter 1. So chapter 2 is just more, more specificity as to what took place in chapter 1. Chapter, Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So you have creation, you have plants, and you have vegetation and mist coming up to water them, but no man to tend to the ground. Then the Lord, formed, Lord God formed the man, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then trees spring up and the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you will surely die. So Adam is placed in the garden. He's given the command, and he's given the consequences if he violates that command. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Remember, in creation, God created it was good. God created it was good. And then all of a sudden we get here and, and it's not good. It's not good that man's alone. He's not relational. He's been given something to do, but he's, and he's not relational. It's just man. So God, God says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Helper. The, the Hebrew word is azer. It means one who helps, a sucker, relief, aid, help, something that furnishes relief. Adam needed help. He needed relationship. So, so God was going to make a helper suitable for him, fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. So, so Adam 
He really doesn't even understand he's alone, but he's alone. It's not good that he's alone. And so God brings all the animals in front of him, and he, and he names them all. He has dominion over them, so he names them all. But what he doesn't see, he sees male and female. He, he sees animals. He, he sees, I am alone. He would not have understood alone until God brings these things. And so God's going to make a helper fit for him because it's not good that he would be alone. And Lord knows men need help, yes? The Lord knows. So he, na- na- he names all the livestock, all the birds, every beast. But for Adam, there was not found a Azar, one who could help, one who could give relay- relief and aid, one that could furnish that relief. So, see, it is, it's not that animals aren't useful to mankind. They are very useful to take dominion. But it is that they do not, they do not you cannot have a relationship with an animal that, that is an image of God. Animals, dogs are not man's best friend. They are not made for companionship. Wives and children and people are. So, Adam still doesn't have a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Okay? He's alone. He needs a helper. We're going to do marriage. We're going to do relationship. We're We're going to have a woman proceed from man. And the, the rib the Lord had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last, unlike these animals, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, woman, because she was taken out of Ish, man. And then right here, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Right here we see marriage immediately. We'll see that referenced by Jesus. We see that referenced in the New Testament. This is the first marriage. And it happens the minute Eve is created. Right now. To create the image of God. Because the image of God is incomplete in just man. The image of God is triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, husband, wife, children. Well, we see here. That, that man came first. We looked at 1 Corinthians 11 before. We know that the husband is the head of the wife. We know here that this marriage is instituted. It's, it's, it's one man and one woman. We, we, see, we see male headship and we see female help. Completion. By the way, this is why... Gay marriage, the oxymoronic station, is, is so blasphemous to God. Because if you have two men, and if, and, if, and if marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, as we're going to look at, if you have two men, what do you have? You have two gods. Are there two gods? And if you have two women, what do you have? You have no gods. So not only doesn't it work, you can't, you can't procreate, you can't, you can't take dominion, you can't be fruitful and multiply, you are blaspheming God by saying you don't need a God or you can have two gods. 
See, we don't get to change marriage. We don't, it's not our institution. It is God's and it matters to Him. Marriage is God's institution. We are not to distort that. You know, if you want to follow me around sometimes, if we ever go to Ikea and I come home, if I try to put together that furniture without those instructions, we aren't very good anyway, but when I try, it doesn't work out very well. Try doing marriage without God's design. Try to make it your own. It won't work out very well. You want to break a marriage? Don't read the manual. You want to have it function the way it was intended to function? Listen and obey the manual. A marriage matters because it was the first institution created by God. And it is the image of the triune God in relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, husband, wife, children. Next we see marriage matters. It is a, it is a the temporal picture of an eternal reality. The marriage, we, we understand the marriage covenant. We understand that language of you take a covenant, you take vows. When you become married, the Bible uses the language of a covenant in speaking of marriage in Malachi 2.14, for instance. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord has wit- was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. This covenant between a man and a wife, the covenant that we take as men and women when we enter into marriage. It's a picture of the covenant of Christ and his church. We see this explained. I'm not going to take a lot of time to go into this text because I'm guessing the other speakers will utilize this text. We see in this text this this reality of, of this picture of Christ and the church being our marriages. In the book of Ephesians, Paul takes the first part of the book and he does what we call orthodoxy. He says, here's, here's how salvation is wrought. Here is, here's who God is and here's how you become his. In the second half, then he goes into orthopraxy or how then you should live out of this reality of who God is, who Jesus Christ is. So when he's telling them how to live, he talks about how to live in marriage. Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we we see the gospel here. We see Christ redeeming a bride, and he had died for that bride, and how this, this bride, this church, is now his people, and there's a relationship that's created in this covenant. And here's how you're to live in that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the church does, the, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. This picture of Christ and his bride, the church, is projected to the world through godly marriages. This is, this is what you represent to, to your children, to your 
church family, to your community, this is what you represent. You represent a picture of Christ and the church as husbands and wives. You see, and we do not want to go to war with God, do we? And, and how would we go to war with God? We would reject this teaching and say, no, we have a better way. We have a better way. Our way of egalitarianism is far better. Our way of Mr. Mom is way better. Verse 31, therefore, you see what happens here. Therefore, he's going to take us right back to creation. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is what marriage is. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. In the Garden of Eden, Adam, alone, not good, helper fit for him. Immediately, the two become one flesh. We have marriage. And the, the offshoot of that would be then children. Marriage matters because it's a picture of Christ and the church, a temporal picture of an eternal reality. And then in verse 33, it says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, I won't take a lot of time because I think our speakers will talk about these things, but love and respect are the greatest needs or the commands that we're giving. The primary responsibility, husbands, is to love your wife sacrificially. The primary responsibility you have, wives, is to respect and revere your husbands. See, wives want to give love because that's what they want. I'm glad they give love. Husbands try to give respect so they can receive respect. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, sacrificially. Wives, submit to your husband as the church submits to Christ. When husbands don't sacrificially love their wives, they distort the picture of Christ in the church. And they actively disagree with and disobey God. When I do not love my wife, I am actively disagreeing with and disobeying God. When wives don't reverence and respect and submit to their husbands, they distort the picture of God's design. And they, they, they disagree and disobey God. They distort the gospel. See, the goal of marriage, why marriage matters, is not our happiness. It's not the goal of marriage. It's not our, our spouse's happiness. My goal is not to make my wife happy. My goal is to make my wife holy. Marriage is not about our happiness. Rather, our marriages, as, as they matter, as we're talking today, our marriages are to be to the glory of God as a picture of Christ and the church. That's what they are to be. That's why they matter, temporally. They're a temporal picture of an eternal reality. That's why divorce is not an option for a Christian husband. Would Christ ever leave his bride? That's why divorce is not an option for a Christian wife. Would the church ever forsake Christ and leave him? That's why you don't be unequally yoked. That's why you marry Christians, because two Christians will never be divorced. It's because Christ and his bride will never be separated. 
Some of you may take exception. You may get upset. Don't. Please, we can talk later. I'm a divorced man. Before I was a Christian, I'm a divorced man. But as a Christian, there's nothing my wife could ever do that would have me want to divorce her. Nothing. Now, the Bible talks about if she, if she leaves and she, she abandons the marriage, I'm not obligated. But listen, that's not my heart. Because Christ will not abandon his bride. And the church will not abandon Christ. Marriage matters. The church can and will never break relationship with Christ. And Christ will never break relationship with his bride. Christians. Don't marry non-Christians. Look. Marriage matters. Two, truly, truly, born again believers will never be divorced. Two, truly, born again believers. Because as a picture of Christ in the church, Christ is not leaving the church and the church is not forsaking Christ. So marriage matters. It's God's primary institution. It is the image of God in relationship. And then it is a temporal picture of an eternal reality. It points us to us and others to something far greater than the marriage itself. When I see Tyler and Dara interact, when I watch their marriage, it ought point me to something far greater than them. Far greater than them. And I'm ashamed sometimes how my marriage points really nowhere but me. Nowhere but now. As I would not love my wife as Christ loved the church. It's a gospel I believe that saved me. And that gospel is distorted when I don't live in these ways. Marriage matters to God. It matters to God. It matters to the gospel that we preach and we believe. Another reason marriage matters it is the eternal relation, eternal relational institution for God's people. Not only was it the first institution for God's people, it is the final eternal relationship for God's people. And I want to make sure you understand it's for God's people. God made man in his own image. He also made earthly image in in the image of his own eternal, eternal marriage with his people. So, Matthew twenty two thirty, For in, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. There is no marriage for the resurrected human being in heaven. Emily and I will not be a couple. There is no marriage in heaven. But there's a far greater marriage that there will be in heaven. When I say no marriage in heaven, I mean between two resurrected human beings with their heavenly bodies. But there will be a far greater marriage that we'll see in heaven. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. There will be a great wedding ceremony and marriage in heaven. And blessed are those who are invited. The marriage of the Lamb is by invitation only. The invite list is small. It's only for those who have been redeemed by Christ to be his eternal bride. Who is the eternal bride of Christ? The church. The church. Christ and the church. His eternal bride is the church. Well, who is the church? Those who have heard and believed into Christ Jesus. Adam was told, do not eat from the tree. That was the law given him, the command given him. And he did. And when he did, sin entered. So every human being is born into Adam. And because we're born into Adam, we have a sin nature. And then guess what? We sin. God says don't lie. God says don't commit adultery. Don't lust. Don't steal. Don't blaspheme. And we do those things. And therefore, we are separated from God because of our sin toward him. Just as Adam and Eve were separated from God and had to hide in the garden and need to be clothed with skins of sacrificed animals, we too were at odds with God because of our sin, because we don't obey his commands. And and John 3.36 would tell us, if we believe in the Son, we have eternal life. But if we do not obey the Son... We will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on us. Every person is born with the wrath of God on them. It's like my coat being the wrath of God. It is on everyone who was ever created. And the only way to remove the wrath of God is to believe on Jesus Christ. There is no other way, no other way to be the bride of Christ for all eternity, but to put your faith and trust in Him. Believe that you are a sinner who sins and that you missed the mark that God has given you. And because you missed that mark, you are without hope. You are under the wrath of God, the judgment of God. It's a sermon for another day, but that judgment is hell. Literally. More than we could ever imagine. But God is so merciful that He sent His Son He sent His Son to live as a man without sin. Perfectly fulfilling all of God's laws, never sinning in thought, word, or deed, not one time. And He went to a cross to take on the wrath of God for anyone who would put their faith and trust in Christ. But it starts with you knowing. Look, it might be that you hate God's design for marriage. And you hate it so much you refuse. You rebel and and you will not accept God's design for marriage. Well, then you need to repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because you're at war with God. And you're at war with God if you have not seen Christ as your Savior. Believed on Him. That's who will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And blessed. And what a great... We have no way to get our minds around this reality but in first john we will see him as he is we'll have marriage with christ 
that will have no sin and no sorrow and no pain and no husbands not loving well and no wives not reverencing well. We'll have perfection. This gospel that saves, this gospel of sin and repentance and salvation and the forgiveness of sins, this this entry into the family of God and, and this glorious gospel that is a picture in our marriages, a picture of Christ in the church is not to be distorted by our marriages. Be careful proclaiming a gospel you don't believe. You don't live. You're unwilling. It's not that we will live perfectly before glory. But it is that I believe God's word and I will by his grace live by God's word. I will not reject his word and think that I am a Christian. I will not support gay marriage. I will not support a woman wearing the pants in the family. A man acquiescing his, his authority and then, and then becoming some sort of a victim because his wife is overbearing. Pastor Jeff will talk to us, but husbands, you stand before God in how you have loved your wife. And you base that about how Christ has loved you. Wives, you're going to stand before God and give account for how you've reverenced and submitted yourself to your husbands. As a picture of Christ and the church, it matters. Do not distort the gospel. When a husband would be abusive to his wife, either physically or or verbally, it's a gross distortion. Does Christ treat us that way? When a wife makes a husband be her helper, completing her dreams and goals and visions, is that what the church does? Has Christ be our helper? It distorts the gospel. And if we violate God's commands concerning marriage, and if we do so willingly, we are at war with God, just like this culture that passed Obergefell versus Hodges. We're at war with God. You do not want to be at war with God. And I want my marriage to be in alignment with God. And I want your marriage to be in alignment with God. The gospel that made him be sin who knew no sin. That we might be the righteousness of Christ, of God in him, in Christ. That that reality of, 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 of my relationship, our relationship of Christians with Christ, with God. That rec- redeemed, reconciled relationship. Is there anything more valuable? Well, we have something to show that to the world and to ourselves. And that is our marriage. Closing thought, marriage matters because it is God's first earthly institution. It is a temporal picture of a greater eternal reality. And it is the eternal relation, relational institution for God's people. Marriage clearly matters to God and he has spoken. Mankind, the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his image, must listen and obey. If not, we place ourselves at war with God. Will you today listen and obey?
We're going to hear why a husband matters. Will you listen and obey husbands, future husbands? You're going to hear why a wife matters from Pastor Nick. Will you listen and obey wives and future wives? From Pastor Tyler, why one flesh matters. Will you listen and obey married people? Or will you continue to want to be at war with the God who created you, the God whose wrath you are under, unless and until you believe on Jesus Christ, who then becomes your forever husband? Will you listen and obey today? Marriage matters to God. Does it matter to us? I assert, of course it does, for the brothers and sisters in this room. And if it doesn't, repent. Turn from your sin, even how you view marriage, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins and be saved. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you created us in your image. That we can think in logic and reason and that we have souls that will never die and those souls that will never die under your judgment you sent your son that we might turn to him for the forgiveness of our sins, be be reconciled to you. Father, help us to remember how much marriage matters and why, that we might live for your glory and for Christ's sake, in whose name I pray. Amen. We are...